I don't know if you've ever heard of Facebook stalking. You ever heard of that? Facebook stalking? Okay, some of you have done it. All right, I have. Did it yesterday. Yeah. You know, for those of you that don't know what Facebook stalking is, let me give you one definition. Here it is. Take a look at this definition. We'll go two slides over. Here we are. Facebook stalking is to look at a person's Facebook profile in detail to learn more about them and what they are doing, reading their wall posts and looking at the recent activity. That's what Facebook stalking is. And if they have, if a person has the setting for all posts are public, you can see everything, even if you're not a friend. But if you're their friend, you can still see everything, usually. That's Facebook stalking. So if you want to know what someone's up to, you just go look at their Facebook or their Instagram or Snapchat. Just go grab something that they're posting out in the world. That's what Facebook stalking is. You know the old version of doing this It was? The old version of this was you'd go to a friend's house and they'd have a photo album laying out. And what would you do? You might take that photo album and they just start flipping through, right? And you learn a lot about someone because all those pictures in that photo album. Or uh, some people, you know, a lot of grandmas, I'm just going to say grandmas, could be grandpas, but I see it in grandmas usually. Uh, their houses, their walls are covered with family pictures. I was just visiting one of the widows here in our church uh, several weeks ago. And I got to know a lot of people in this church because I got to see what you look like when you were a kid and graduating from high school. Uh, I'm not going to say any names, but her first name might start with a T, might end with a Y. I might say teeny if I was going to go public with who I was visiting. But I'm telling you, it was like walls of photos. It was like these snapshots in time where I got to learn a little bit about people. And so I want to use that metaphor for the next three weeks to learn something about generosity. I want to use that metaphor to talk about the Bible as a photo album. I just want to open the Bible and I just kind of want to flip the pages and I want to just take a look at the snapshots we see. And maybe we can learn something about generosity by looking at all those snapshots. So for three weeks, we're going we're gonna to do a sermon series called Snapshots. Biblical pictures of generosity. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to learn something about what it means to be a generous people. I think it'll be a fun journey. Maybe one that'll step on our toes at times and motivate us in other ways. But this morning we're going to start by opening up the Bible. We're just going to open up like a photo album. Or maybe if you like that social media metaphor, we're just going to scroll down until we get to the book of Acts. And this morning we're going to look at three snapshots, three photos in the photo album, in the book of Acts. And hopefully we're going to learn something when we take a look at those three snapshots. So we'll pick up with the first one. The first snapshot we take a look at in this photo album, in this section called Acts, we're going to pick up chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Here's our first picture. They, that's the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
There's our first picture. First one we come to when we look at this page in the photo album. Now there's some things here that should not surprise us. These early Christians, well, they were a people of prayer. That, not a surprise. Not, not surprised by that. They are a people dedicated to the apostles' teaching. These are people teaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and how he was the promised Messiah. This is the teaching of the apostles, and they are committed to that line of teaching from the old covenant moving into the new. Not surprising. They're also people that are breaking bread in each other's homes. So these are a people, this is a people that are taking communion together. Most scholars think this is some reference to communion, that communion of bread and juice. That doesn't surprise me. Jesus himself gave them that meal to take after his death, burial, and resurrection. I think the thing that catches me when I take a look at that snapshot is of all the things Luke could write, of all the things he could write to describe these early Christians, in this first great summary of the early believers, he describes, of all the other things, he describes their generosity. That's something. He could have said a lot of things about them, but the thing he picked was their generosity. I'm not surprised by the other three. I'm a bit surprised by this one. Why would he pick their generosity? Because there's something happening in this group of people. You see, everything that Luke describes when he takes this picture of the early Christians and he writes it down for us to read is a sign that the Spirit of God is moving in this group of people. Something unique is happening here in this day, in that moment. And in this group of people, God's Spirit has come in. And in that first sermon, after Peter preaches it, you know what he says? Not only does he say that God's Spirit is doing something new on this day, this day of Pentecost, he says, Ah, and you too can have His Spirit indwelling in you. It's that famous verse, Acts 2.38. Look at how he ends the sermon. He says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And thousands on that day were baptized, receiving this gift of this indwelling Spirit, God moving with His people in a new way, and a sign that this people had received this spirit and it was moving among them, was their generosity. Of all the things he could write, he notes their generosity because it's a sign that God was now doing something among his people. It was something that God's been wanting to do with his people for a very long time. And if we went back into the photo album, we'd see snapshots of God's dreams of, for his people. Dreams of generosity. Dreams that he'd have a people that would give abundantly. If you let me, I just want to take a look, just quickly go back and take a look at just one of those dreams. Those, that moment where God gives a vision of what he wants his people and who he wants them to be. Isaiah 58 is where we read it. Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 10. Here's what God says through the prophet Isaiah. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wonder with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn 
and your healing will quickly appear. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. That's a vision of who he wants his people to be. It's a vision that's ultimately going to take shape when his spirit gets into his people. You remember, Jeremiah had a vision that God gave him that one day, one day God would no longer teach his people his law because the law would be written on their hearts. It would be who they are. And part of that vision of God's spirit indwelling them, a forgiveness of sins and now the gift of the spirit, is that they would become the kind of people that would give abundantly. They would feed the hungry, take care of the naked. They would take care of their own flesh and blood. We would summarize the dream this way. Take a look. This is how I'd summarize it. God planned for a day when his people would be so generous that they would be like a light rising in the darkness, turning the night into the noonday. That's what God was in the business of doing. And what we see is that on this day, when God's spirit now moves in his people, one of the key marks is that God's dream is coming true. That they are a generous people. Taking care of one another so none are in need. That's what we see. That's why Luke will note generosity of all the other things he could note. Because this is a mark of God's people. You want to know what God's spirit does? It births. It motivates generosity. That's what's happening so that's what I'm seeing in the first snapshot. We've got a couple more to go. So let's turn in the photo album. That's the first snapshot, the first picture. So what we see is if we turn in the photo album, we see another snapshot. It's at the end of chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we'll pick up with verse 33. Here's what Luke writes. Here's how he describes this early group of Christians. Again, another picture. With great power... The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought their money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned. And brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Another snapshot. Another snapshot. Now here in this picture, what I note is a connection between two things that we rarely put together. But here is so clear. It's this, it's this idea or this reality that God's grace is moving among a people. And then right after a description of God's grace moving among a people, what does he write? That they were abundantly generous. They're selling property. They're giving to one another. They're distributing their wealth so no one has any need. God's grace then motivating, cultivating generosity. Those two go together. God's grace and generosity flow together into the same great river. That's what we see. This is the only place we see it. So if I just flip forward a little bit in the photo album, we see another picture, another description that Paul gives us when he writes to the Corinthians. And he sees these two great streams coming together to make one great flowing stream of generosity. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-2, Paul writes this. 
And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. God's grace moved among a very, a, a very poor group of people in the city of Corinth. And out of that, through God's grace, welled up generosity, even out of their extreme poverty. I mean, these weren't the top 1%. These were those on welfare. These were the ones that couldn't, couldn't make, get, get, in, get by. These were the ones that were needing help. And what they did is they were able to scrounge up enough so that they could give to other people out of their extreme poverty, overflowed generosity. And what does he say? He says that's all a product of God's grace moving in them. When God's grace hits people, what emerges, what is cultivated is generosity. It's what I see in the snapshot. So that's another picture of generosity. This is a people. Although they don't have much, they well up and they give, even out of the little they have. Now you saw it as I, I know you're seeing what I'm seeing when you look at that picture in Acts. They're redistributing wealth. You ever heard anybody talk about redistribution of wealth? You ever had, you ever heard of, uh, you, ever, you ever seen anything lately about socialism? All right, it's getting uncomfortable. You know, this verse, this snapshot, this picture of generosity in Acts chapter 4 is used often as a justification for the redistribution of wealth. That is, that God has always had a vision that people would redistribute their wealth. You'd take from the wealthy and you'd give to the poor. And even better to put that into public policy and force the matter. A lot of people would use this, have used this snapshot to justify that behavior, those policies. So I think we should just take a quick moment to say two things about that snapshot so we're clear. First one, we'll see it come up right here. The first one is, giving was voluntary. The description in Acts 4 is not one of mandatory generosity, it's one of voluntary giving. Very important. What's interesting is right after this snapshot, we see another one popping up. It's not one we're going to focus on, it's the negative side of all this, but we need to see what happens. In Acts chapter 5, take a look. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. You might know the story well. Let's read it and notice what's important at the end. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, they kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Well, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you, have led, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from, from, uh, for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have lied, not lied just to human beings, but to God. Do you see the problem? The problem wasn't that there was a public policy that Ananias failed to keep or broke or violated, it was that he, they had land at their disposal, sold it, made profit, and decided to say they were giving all of it and kept some for themselves. 
and they, he, is, uh, he is rebuked because he made a choice to not give everything he said he would give. The issue is he didn't give what was mandatory. The issue is that he kept back what he committed to give and to give voluntarily. There is never a good moment where, you are, where we are called to give mandatorily, necessarily, so that we can give to other people. It is always a call to the heart to give generously. The moment you make it a law, particularly one of public policy, is the moment you step into a realm where it has left generosity and becomes a tax. Now, I'm not saying all taxes are bad. I like taxes because I like roads that are paved, and I like electricity. I like a grid that works. But there's a moment where you move. There's a moment you move, and giving is no longer voluntary. That's not what we see in the snapshot in Acts 4. I just want to be very clear there. This is not a passage to justify socialism. All right. Second thing I want to make very clear, this one's a shorter passage to come behind it, and that is this. Here's the second thing I want us to make sure we're understanding out of that snapshot, is the early Christians still retain personal possessions like their homes. The Bible has nothing against personal possessions, personal property. They actually, the Bible says a lot about how to protect personal property. Now, it doesn't mean that you can make that your God. If that becomes your problem, well, then we got an issue. And God always was training his people to give back a portion of what he gave them. That was training them in generosity. But there's a moment where that goes beyond what it's supposed to be. Take a look, just one passage, Acts 12. Acts 12, 12, just one mention of someone who owned a home. When this had dawned on him, he, this is Peter, went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. It just wasn't a house owned by an individual. It was a house owned by a woman. So the idea that the Bible does not, that the Bible somehow teaches us to give up or to let go of personal property, well, it's not found here in Acts 4 and it's not found anywhere else in the book of Acts. You're not going to find it in the photo album. So it's a long way to say that what we see in Acts 4 is something that's emerging because of God's grace not a law coming down from a legislature or an emperor. All right? All right. Let's go to our last one. Last snapshot. We're going to go all the way now towards the end, towards the end of the book, towards the end of the photo album. We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 20, where we see Paul giving his last words to a group of elders. And when you get to see the end of what he wants to say, note what he ends on. It's, it's substantial. He says this, he gives a picture of his life at the end of the speech. Acts 20, verse 33 through 35. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You ever heard those words? They come from Jesus. You're not going to find those words in the record of the Gospels. They're right here. Paul records it right here, which tells us there are teachings of Jesus that didn't all, they didn't all make them into the Gospel narratives. But here Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul says, that's, that's the kind of life I tried to give you. And how did he do it? With hard work. I worked hard 
so that I did not have to be the recipient all the time of financial gifts so that you could be blessed and now you can give to others. And he's going to be on his way picking up money to take it to Jerusalem right after this. That's where he's going because they need help. They don't have opportunities in front of them in Jerusalem because of circumstances they face. But the point is Paul says, you saw how I lived and he ends by a picture of his life. I worked hard so that I could be generous. Now you remember, to give is more blessed than to receive. Which tells us in this last snapshot that the blessed life, a good life, comes by giving, not by receiving. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with receiving. Sometimes we find ourselves in positions in life where we need to receive because we can't help ourselves. But the general principle is be a person who gives. Be a person full of generosity because that follows in the way of the king. And the king himself showed us that way, and all of his followers follow suit. That's, the, that's what I see. So let's summarize. Let's take it all. We just looked at three pictures in the photo album. Here's what we see. God's spirit motivates generosity. God's grace cultivates generosity. And blessedness comes through generosity. All that's happening right there, just in the book of Acts. All right. Let's make some application. When I look at those snapshots, some things start happening inside of me. And I don't know if it started happening inside of you. And I want to get to those things that were happening inside of me by going with a few questions. I just want to step into a few questions, and maybe you can relate. Because when I see a community that generous, people in extreme poverty giving, even when it hurts, some things happen. For me, I start feeling and thinking certain things when I hit or look at that picture. Like I'm having a reaction. Here's how I want to frame the reaction. Some questions. Here's the first question hits me. Do these pictures look idealistic or unrealistic? Do they just look too good to be true? Or do they just look like they're made up? Really? Really? Did, did everyone in the community really, really live in such a way that no one had need? With like, with like five of them? Like, really? Have you ever been in a community where no one has need? I don't know what that's like. So if I'm being honest, when I look at that picture initially, it looks like a glamour shot. You ever had glamour? You know what glamour shots are? Anybody ever go get glamour shots? All right, all right. You know what I'm saying, where you dressed up real nice and they photoshopped you to look better than you, you, than you really are? Yeah. <laughs> We got that today, it's called Instagram and filters, but I'm just going, I'm hearkening back to a different time. It looks, it looks like someone threw a filter on that scripture. That's not really what the early Christians looked like. But maybe it was. Maybe it was. And if it was, maybe that's where I'm supposed to be. All right, another question. Here's another reaction. Are we jealous because we wish we could live in a community like that? That's one reaction I'm having when I look at those pictures. You ever been on Facebook or you ever looked through a photo album years ago and you see some event with lots of people, all of them smiling, and what happens? You wish you could be there too, right? Ah, oh, I wish that was my life. Yesterday I, on our Facebook page, on our church Facebook page, I took a picture of our kids and Tess packing uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes. 
If I pulled up my phone right now, I haven't deleted any pictures, I probably took 15 pictures to try to get the one I wanted to post on our Facebook page. I needed the right one so that you thought everything was perfect in that moment. What you don't see in the picture is the complaining, the stop that, don't do that, put that there. You don't see all that. You just saw a really wonderful picture of us packing our boxes, which was to motivate you. You didn't see everything else. And don't worry, I got on and edited that thing and put the right lighting and made sure to finesse it so it looked really good. This would be an opportunity to say, if you have not liked our Facebook page, would you please go and like our Facebook page? Subscribe to YouTube too. It would up our opportunity for changing our URL. Shameless commercial. Let's come back. The point, the point is that I really want to be part of a group that looks like that. I want to be part of a group where there's no need and people give out of their extreme poverty. What's it like to live in that? What a vision. All right, here's another reaction I'm having. Do we resonate with them? Do we feel a kindred spirit with them because we've cultivated generosity in our lives? See, the other thing happening is that I do know some people that have done that. I do know people that have been radically generous. I know people that have bought big houses and then they always keep people in that house to bless them, giving them a place to live. I know people that have used their resources ridiculously generously. I know people like that. I know in our life we've had moments where we've given beyond what we think we can give. So there's something in me that just doesn't feel like I wish I could be part of that, but I feel a kindred spirit too. I know some of you have been generous. There's a kindred spirit here. So there's something that aligns, not just is wishful thinking. That starts to happen with me. Uh, and here's this, this, other, this last reaction I'm having. Maybe you are too. Do, do these snapshots, so they increase our desire to give more? You know why Martin Luther King Jr. still motivates people? Because he cast a vision for something people want to become. That's what happens. Now, he also gets grabbed up for a lot of other reasons. But there's a reason that I have a dream speech still captures the imagination. Because he, captured, he cast a vision for a life that could be possible if we all got involved. And when I look at these three pictures in the photo album, in this section of Acts, I want to be part of that. What would it look like for our family to give a little bit more so that no one had need among us? What would that look like? That's the, that's the kind of thing that can motivate you. All right. Well, let me take all of that and, and just say a few things about us as a church. Because as I saw those three snapshots, I, had some, I, I, I thought about some E10 snapshots. And there were a few things that came to mind. I just want to just, just uh, encourage, praise our little church family. And that is this. There are several things this church does that goes above and beyond the budget. Goes above and beyond... Uh, the call of duty and generosity. I think about the Dollar Club. You know the Dollar Club started some years ago, right? A, a few years ago, where people said, there's got to be a way where we can help even more than we're helping. Well, why doesn't everyone just come and give a dollar every Sunday? We'll collect the dollars and then we'll give it away. Do you see what that is? That is a way of figuring out, inventing a way to give more. And then I think about, I think about then the food pantry where... Although right now it's in this limbo because of COVID and 
virtual learning with the middle school and high school. But what we did, this church did, was decided at some point, let's bring food and resources and toothbrushes and toothpaste and let's give that away. And then when we connected with the middle school, people even started buying feminine hygiene products, products that female students at the middle school didn't have access to. Some of them, so let's go ahead and just be even more abundantly generous. This is all outside the budget. When you have that annual congregational meeting all those years, when I wasn't here, you know you were, you were doing all of that beyond the, what was decided on in the budget. That was just a welling up of generosity. And then there's this thing called the Christmas Card Express where you decided at some point, I say you because I didn't have anything to do with this. I kind of, I, I stepped into this with you. You like, you, like, you, you, um, you fill out all these Christmas cards and instead of sending them out, you bring them to the church and then rather than saying, look at how much I saved and go have a nice steak dinner, you brought the money back to the church and designated someone in the church to give all that money to. All the money you saved, you gave away. That's a picture of generosity. You know that's all stuff you invented to come up with ways to give above and beyond the budget. That's the kind of place I want to be a part of. And I know there are churches in this area that are doing, the, doing similar things. And God's working among those churches. We're not unique in that, but I want to speak to us. That's the kind of people we need to be. Generous people. All right. Let's take it to a next step then. Here's the next step. Here's something we can do this week. Examine your spending and open spaces for generosity. So that's going to require some thought. It's going to require some planning. Maybe you do Starbucks two times a week. Maybe you could cut it to one. I don't know. Maybe you do it all the time. Maybe you're like five times a week. Maybe you could cut it to three. Do you see what I'm saying? Just figure out ways. Maybe... You subscribe to 10 different streaming services. And maybe all you need is Disney Plus. All right? We watch a lot of Disney Plus in our home. A lot of Winnie the Pooh right now. Maybe you just need that. Maybe you don't need Hulu Live or YouTube Live. Maybe you, maybe you can give up on some stuff. You get the point. Examine where you are and open space to increase your giving. Now, where will you give? Well, give to people in need. Listen, this is not going to be a series where it's, all, it's going to be all about you need to give to this church because we have bills to pay. Because you and I both know that my salary makes up a portion of that giving. So that would be a little self-serving to sell you with the Bible for you to give so that I can have a house over, a house to live in. I want that, and I want you to give. But I want you to go well beyond just what you think in terms of giving to this church. Would you please think about generosity to anyone you know that's in need? If you become a generous person, it will take care of everything else. If we get you just to give to this church, you may give to this church and be a really stingy person. I'd rather get the former than the latter. And that's the kind of people that our family are trying to become. So let's do it. Let's become that kind of people. Well, that's what we see right here. Those three snapshots, that's what I'm gleaning here. Well, next week, we're going to look at another piece of the photo album and take a look at what we might learn there. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what you did among your people that your spirit and your grace flowed in so that they became a people who gave, a people who were blessed. Would you do it and continue to do it among us as a church family and us as individuals so that we become radically generous, a people who overflow 
out of our wealth or out of our poverty, we become a people who give. And Father, we have no doubt your spirit will do that as we allow him. And so we need your help and we'll need each other. But as we examine our spending, open up spaces, would you motivate us and cultivate that generosity that is a mark of your people? We thank you for that. Thanks for these pictures. And we pray that all with the confidence of Jesus the Christ. And together we say,